And so I'm going to introduce to you a, a young man that has so blessed and so enriched my life that I, I couldn't, I just couldn't help but want to share him with you. And I invited him to come and minister. He's the pastor of Bethel in Valparaiso. He's got his lovely wife, Elise, with him this morning. And their newest, how, how old is Simeon? Four weeks. I love the name too, Simeon. What, is, what does Simeon mean in the God hears? I knew it was something like seer or hear. God hears. Remember Simeon? Whew. Anyway, and they're, they're just a precious couple doing a great work in the region. And God has melted our hearts together. And I'm telling you, look out. Because you're going to see great things come out of this couple and out of the labor that they do for the kingdom of God. His completely heart is completely sold out to the kingdom of God. And it's just an honor and a privilege to have Kyle Felke with us this morning from Bethel. Would you give him a rousing welcome to City Point Church? Good to be with you all. Wow, I have heard so many great things about you all. And that's, that's not, I'm not just saying that. I, I honestly, um, I love sitting with your pastor and hearing him talk about who you are. Hey, Ben, Nicole, how are you guys? I, uh, I, I really love hearing the stories that come out of, of his heart of what you guys uh, do in ministering the kingdom. Like, it is, is a joy. I, every time I, I sit with him, he, he just brags on you all. He, honestly, like, he shares about testimonies and stories that you guys are, are doing to see an impact in Porter County and, uh, and, and going beyond. Um, and I just want to take a look at you all real quick. Is that cool? Because you guys are really amazing. You look really good. I, I even dressed up special just for you today. <laughs> no, it's, it's good to meet you. Uh, I got a chance to meet a couple of you guys before uh, service started. And I, is it okay if we just uh, encourage one another for a bit? Would that be okay? All right. Um, I'm not, I try not to be super conventional. Like I like to, to be a little bit free. So this, even this jacket and stuff, it, I'm only wearing it to try and hide all the fat that I gained over the weekend. <laughs> Anybody feel like you gained five pounds? Just a couple of people? <laughs> Thank goodness New Year's resolutions are coming, right? <laughs> they never work, do they? Um, I know that there's Pastor Mike. Uh, is there any other Mikes in, in the room tonight, today? No? Any other Mikes? Middle name Mike? Nobody? Anybody's name Mike besides Pastor Mike? Okay. All right. How about a Joe? Yeah, Joe? Okay. Are you the only Joe? You got a Joe too? All right. Would you two stand up for a bit? Yeah, um, Holy Spirit has something to share with you both. And uh, as I was praying, I just heard the name Joe. And so I just want to um, encourage you. Um, I, I, I see, I, I see a, a police officer in you. I see a man who, who loves justice and is a, is a protector and a defender, like we just sang about. Um, you're someone who really cares about your family. Um, I, do you have kids? How many kids do you have? Two boys? I just, I just see him saying, like, you're, you're raising up a generation of men who will defend uh, women, specifically. I just I hear him saying they'll, they'll defend women, and, uh, and you're raising them with a lot of integrity, and they look up to you. And I just feel like the Lord's pleasure is upon you, and he wants you to know that he, he just delights in who you are, even as a husband. There's just so much desire that he has for you to understand how pleased he is with you. And uh, I, just, I just see uh, like a road ahead of you, with all the leaves that have fallen off from the fall, 
Um, and I just see him going before you, and as you're walking, the leaves are just blowing away. And I feel like the Lord is saying there's a new path that he's birthing in you, and what he's doing in this next season is going to come with ease. You just moving forward is going to blow away all the brush and debris that have been in the path uh, that's made it hard for you to see what the future looks like. So I just want to encourage you, he is for you, and there are more for you than against you, and that he really loves what you're doing with your kids and, and I just feel like there's a, a drawing back, like a magnet with your boys. I don't know whether they're far off or anything like that. I just hear him saying, like, he's just drawing you closer to them and them closer to you. And that's like the, the Elijah spirit, turning the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the father. I just feel like the Lord's saying you're going to be a model of what that looks like, of a father towards a son and the sons towards a father. So I just want to bless you with that. Is that cool? Yeah. Joe, I see you. Uh, I just got the picture, a word librarian. And I feel, like, I feel like the Lord says that this quiet season of your study, uh, of spending time with him, is, is really beautiful. And you know, libraries are not, um, they're not populated. You know, not too many people spend a ton of time in libraries, and they're quiet for a reason. It's because there's, there's a space for you to, to not just gain information, but for it to change you. And I feel like what God's doing in your life right now is that he's, he's putting you in, in a place where um, there's not a lot of people who may be experiencing what you're experiencing, uh, but continue to press in and contend for what he has for you. Continue to sit and wait longer because he has a lot of things to reveal to you that are going to move from your head to your heart. I feel like you're going to be one who, who really knows how to not only live from your heart, but expose other people when you come out of the library, per se. You're going to be able to expose people to what you've gained in that secret place. And so I just want to encourage you, continue to sit into that place, that quiet place with the Lord. Uh, he's really building something beautiful in you. And it's not for the purpose of ministering to others. It's for the purpose of you and him being one. Yeah? Out of that's going to come other things. But, but what the purpose and intention of it is, is for him to be one with you. It's really beautiful. Like what he really desires is to, to build something in you for him. Not for the world, but for him. Okay? Amen. Yeah. Um, man, I just, I just really believe that God wants to speak to us every day. Do you know that? Do you know that sometimes we, uh, we, can have, we can have conversations with the Lord and not even realize we're having him? Like, his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. That's an Old Testament verse, right? But what does the New Testament say? In 1 Corinthians, he says that he's given us the mind of Christ. It's kind of intriguing, Right? In the Old Testament, we, we didn't have the same thoughts as God. But in the New Testament, we have the mind of Christ. <laughs> this, this should be encouraging. <laughs> like, if I, if I look at a man and I, I, I see, like, destiny and purpose on him, I see a man who actually is called to, to raise up a generation of other men who are just passionate after holiness and righteousness. I, I, don't, I don't have to question whether that's God or not. You know? Like, it's not, it's not a question. Now, maybe details could be a little off, but here's the crazy thing, is that you and I, we actually have power in our tongue. We can actually call things into being. Like, God can actually shift and change Direction of destiny because of the things that we say. Do you believe that happens negatively? Yeah? Could it happen positively too? Yeah? Do you realize that your words have so much power and what you contain is a bag of seeds that God is just saying scatter? Just release it. Just be free to release the seed. I'm not... I'm not looking for you to make sure that you have rose planted perfectly and you don't waste any seed. Jesus would not have told the parable about the seed scattered on rocky ground if he would have been frustrated that we wasted seed. 
Now think about farmers today. Like, they're not just going out in the field and just scattering seed, right? How many are farmers in here? Anybody farmer? No? How many of you have family that were farmers? Or have seen a farmer? <laughs> How about that? <laughs> yeah? I, I think it's so crazy. Like, farmers are able to make these beautiful rows, right? They have these machines that make these beautiful rows, and they plant specifically. They know how far apart. They know how, how much distance between seed. All that stuff. They're very calculated. Why? Because the seed is, is so important to them that they don't want to waste any of it. Yet in Jesus' culture, it wasn't quite the same way. And when he starts to equate the kingdom of God to a seed, he starts to equate it not to the one that makes sure that you're giving it specifically the right space, the right distance, even the right soil. He's saying, I want you to just scatter it. Why would a farmer in our current day not just scatter seed? Because he's trying to be a good steward of his resource. Yeah? Because he only has so much, right? You guys still with me? Here's what's crazy about Jesus. When he says the kingdom of God is like a man who sows seed, he's saying, I am giving you and supplying seed for you that you get to scatter because I have an abundance of it. You don't have to worry about how much seed that you should plant. So be very calculated and careful about the, where you place the seed. You have the freedom to be able to scatter seed wherever you choose. Do you know how much liberty that gives you? Think about it. If you were only like, there was a movie, I don't remember the name of it, but it was about uh, a, a person, people who had time on their arms, like and they they could calculate how much time they had left on their life? Yeah, Justin Timberlake. <laughs> if you and I knew that we only had so much seed to give away, we were very calculated in how we would place that seed. You know, we would be very intentional of who to give that seed to. Yeah? What if we were liberated from not worrying about where it falls? What if we were liberated from the freedom of not worrying about what gets received and what doesn't get received? What if we were liberated from the fear of someone misunderstanding us or us looking like fools or us being rejected? What if we were freed from the overwhelming, oppressive feeling that that seed you had to control and make grow? How many of you sometimes don't give or do things because you're concerned that it might not go the way that you planned? Anybody? You know, I love, I love discipleship. But I want to be really honest with you. When I look at the New Testament form of discipleship, like Jesus at times was the worst disciple maker in our context. Think about this. The man of the garrison, you know who he is? So they're on the boat and they're traveling across the water and there's this massive storm this demonic storm is trying to capsize their boat. And he heals, he, he stops, he doesn't heal the, the water. Well, he stops the water, right? He ceases it. And when they pull up on land, there's a man who's been hanging out in the tombs. And he runs down and he starts to yell at Jesus, what have you come? Have you come to destroy us yet? What does Jesus do? He takes care of it, right? He casts the, he casts the demons into the pigs, and they go off into the water. And the man gets delivered. 
And the man right there makes a statement that we all want everyone, when we preach the kingdom, to say, what can I do to follow you? Right? This is like classic discipleship evangelism. I just preached the word, got someone saved, healed, delivered, and now they want to follow me. That would be like, come on, man. That's, that's, and what does Jesus do, though? He sends him away. He sends him off and he says, go tell the city what God has done for you. Like, he does not let him come and be a disciple. Jesus, that's a bad idea. Like, he doesn't have even one day of good theology to be able to go and share, right? Like, he, he hasn't been to a ministry school. He hasn't sat under a pastor. He hasn't done anything right that the church says, this is the way to raise up a good disciple in Jesus. You guys following me? Okay, there's Jesus. What about that guy, Philip? What about the guy who's in the desert, and all of a sudden he sees this man, and he starts seeing him reading the scriptures of Isaiah, and God says, go and speak to him and tell him the message of salvation. And so he hops in the cart, and he starts to explain to him about Jesus. The guy stops and he says, what must I do to be baptized and saved? What would keep me from being baptized right now? And Philip goes, Nothing. There's water. Let's do this right now. He gets baptized, and what happens? Boom. Philip's gone. God actually picks up Philip, and he takes him away. God, you're screwing up the discipleship process right now. You know it? Like, he is messing up our plan for discipleship. You guys following me? Like, so what does that say about God? I don't know, Kyle. You got me really confused right now. That says that God is more concerned about the seed than you are. He's more concerned about what's going to grow than you are. So take some pressure off of yourself and begin to minister a kingdom rather than trying to build a kingdom. I heard that this week and it shocked me. Don't be so concerned about building a kingdom that's already been built. Be more concerned about ministering a kingdom that is in you. Do you know that the kingdom is within you? It is within you. The mind of Christ in you. He is in you. The Spirit of God, the presence of God is in you. He's not withheld anything from us. Nothing. He's given us freely because he's a God of abundance. He is so free to give you the pleasure of himself that he's not concerned that you're going to screw it up. He's not even concerned that you're going to screw your life up. Once you and I actually get that, we become free from the law. We become free from the law of sin and death. We become free to actually minister the new kingdom of grace that says, my power is going to do the work in you. I, I have... Um, I have fallen in love with the prophetic, with the supernatural over the course of my life. I've fallen in love with the way that God ministers to people that just totally shifts and change their life from death to life. I love that he does that with hearts. I love that he does that with bodies. I love that he does that with our soul with our mind, our will, and emotion. I love that he does that with our spirit. And I realize that what we've done is we've tried to calculate so much of what it looks like to do it right 
that we've actually neglected to take risk. And risk is the thing that God is most pleased with. What is God pleased with? Faith. You can't please God without faith. You can't please God without Say it. You can't please God without You can't please God without You can't please God without Do you know he has faith in you? He actually has faith in you. Why? Because his spirit's in you. Yeah, but I don't feel like it. (laughs) He has faith in you. Because it's his power working in you. Can I read you something? Is that okay? I've been meditating on this verse just because it's, it's just, it's silly, you know, How many of you sometimes read your Bible and you go back sometimes and you go, wow, I've just glanced over that over and over again and totally missed what this is really saying. Listen to this, Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. How do we become faithful in Christ Jesus? How do we become faithful in Christ Jesus? Do you ever feel like you're not faithful? Yeah? How many of you have ever felt like, man, I just, like I see Jesus being faithful and my comparison to his faithfulness, I I can't, I can't see this to the saints in Ephesus who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Those are the ones who never screw up, right? How many of you have ever like really marked your life based on how much failure or how little of failure you've had? Yeah? (laughs) And it's not encouraging, is it? So you read this and you go, well, that's definitely not for me because I'm not in Ephesus. And also because I'm not faithful, like I've failed. Anybody ever been there? This is what's beautiful. This next verse is so powerful. Just meditate on these things. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. Say grace to me. And peace. Where is it coming from? God our Father. I want you to consider this. What is mercy? What is the definition of mercy? What is the definition of mercy? Let's, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's use a, a, a metaphor, okay? I have a ledger on my life. And I'm in the red, which means I have debt. I'm in the red, meaning I have debt to somebody or multiple people. Yeah? Anybody, anybody have debt in their life? How many of you would love to not have debt in your life? Yeah? Do you feel it's possible? Some of you are going, no. <laughs> no, I'm never going to be able to pay that off. That was our life. Like we were in so much red. Like blood was spilling all over the place for the amount of red we were in. Mercy is saying, I see how much debt you're in. I'm going to bring you to zero. Meaning you owe no man anything. You owe God nothing. You're at zero now. Well, that's great, but bills are coming. It was great to get out of debt for a moment, but tomorrow's coming. Even naturally, like, if I sin, I may have had the slate clean for a moment, God, when I received you, but now the slate is clean, and I'm not sure whether I can be faithful and not screw up again and have another tally on my, on my, on my life. Anybody ever felt like that? So mercy says, you're no longer in debt, brings you to zero. You're out of the red. You know what grace says? Not only are you at zero, but I'm giving you $100 billion. (laughs) 
So God is saying, he's applying grace to your life. We can't confuse the two. The mercy of God was poured out at the cross. Do you catch this? Are you catching this? Okay. For all of history, we had our lives in debt to sin. Right? Our life was in debt to sin, and the payment of that sin was death. Jesus comes in, and what does he do? He pays the price that sin requires, and he dies. It becomes the mercy seat of God. Jesus, the mercy seat of God. But what happens is the moment he says, God, unto you I give my spirit, the spirit of grace, is now given to the earth. Remember that Jesus, he's talking to his disciples, Philip. Philip goes, show us the Father, and he says, have you been with me this long and you still don't get it? When you see me, you see the Father. Right? When you see me, you see the Father. And then he says to this, he says, listen, I have to go. I have to leave. Now, who would want to be hanging out with Jesus and hear a statement? I got to go. Nope, this isn't working out well. I'm going with you. Where you're going, I'm going. You can't go with me. No, you don't understand, Jesus. I will fight tooth and nail till death do us part. You're not leaving me. You're not leaving me. And Jesus, he stops and he looks and he says, you don't get it. It's better that I go. That does not make any sense. I've been with you for three and a half years. My life was in shambles. I was in debt before I met you. You're showing me this new way of life, and I feel like I've got life flowing through me. My proximity to you, I cannot lose this proximity to you. I must be as close to you as a brother. And he says, it's better that I go. Why? Because when I go, I will give you the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that was on Jesus his whole life, the same Spirit that brought the dead to life, that healed the blind man, that cleansed the lepers, that made the lame to walk, that gave wisdom to the accuser of Jesus and how he would respond to situations. The same Spirit, he says, it's better that I go so that I could give you my Spirit. So Jesus, he gets on the cross and he becomes the mercy seat of God. But what we don't realize is that he was so pleased because not only could he be the mercy seat, but when he said, unto you, I commit my spirit, that is where grace was given to us. Grace is the thing that's applied to our life to live out what we were created to live before sin got a hold of us. Does that make sense to you? Grace is what supplies the seed for you to minister the kingdom with no bottom in the bag. We can continue to sow seed and never worry about it emptying. Because grace is what is given to you and I to accomplish what he desired. And we can't run out. So when I see this, it says... Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It should shatter my paradigm. It shouldn't, it shouldn't cause me to start worrying about mercy any longer. You, you catching this? See, the mercy's already been taken care of. The New Testament talks so much about grace because mercy was dealt with at the cross. You were in the red and he took care of it at the cross. What the Bible in the New Testament is trying to get into the believers is there's an abundance of grace to every human being. 
on the planet now and forevermore. Abundance of grace. I came to give you life and life abundantly. There is an abundance, a never-ending supply, lavishing grace on every human being's life. If you and I knew that we could freely give that because it's not our responsibility to make sure that we calculate where it goes, how would that change our lives? There's no end to the supply. And if he is really our defender, even when we screw up, mercy's taking care of it. And he's just going to father us. That's a free way to live. Do you know that he wanted to take off all of the hindrances that kept us bound up? He wanted to take off all the heavy yokes. Everybody know that scripture verse, right? My yoke is easy, my burden is light. He really meant it. He really did. He really meant that you don't have to live under the bondage of care and concern about whether you're doing good enough. You know that only comes through one way. Would you turn with me to Philippians? I felt like this is what the Lord really wanted to to share with you today. All this other stuff is good. Was it good? Okay. I want to make sure that I'm encouraging you today. That was my whole intent and purpose to come, was to encourage you. You're doing amazing. Like you really are. You're doing way better than you realize. Do you all know that? You're doing way better than you realize. Way better than you realize. Because your life is hidden in God in Christ. Like he's not, he's not grading your life in anything other than what he sees in Jesus. Everything has been seen through the lens of what does my son look like? That's what you look like. He is so pleased with you. The moment we stop worrying about sin, guilt, and shame, we get this freedom of life. He isn't worried about it. He's taking care of it. Like, if he hadn't taken care of it, then he would have to come and die again. He's taking care of it once and for all. It's just a changing of perspective. How many of you hate the word repentance from your old days of like, oh man, I got to go to church and they're going to call an altar call and I'm going to have to go up and repent of all my sin? I, I'm feeling a little sick today. I'm not going, right? Like repentance became this like bad word, at least in my, my experience. Repentance became this thing that was so scary to me that like, it was going to expose all the things that I've done bad throughout the week. Yeah? I know that there's a, a truth, but I, I was struck by this idea of why is it that every time we talk about God revealing things, like it's always in a negative term? Like God shining light on something, exposing, and it's always exposing sin, right? When we hear that term, God's shined light on something and exposed sin. If he turns the light on, what happens to the darkness? It leaves, right? So if the darkness leaves, there's no sin, So the light turns on in a room and what does it expose? The truth of what's in the room. You you catch that. Light doesn't like grab a hold of darkness and bottle it up and expose darkness. It exposes what the darkness was trying to hide, which was the truth of what was in the room. You, You... Hello. You catch this. Like, he's, he's really good. He's a lot better than we think. He's, he's not going to pull you aside in heaven and say, you said I was way gooder than I really am. God is good? God is good? And all the time? But sometimes I question... Whether God is good, 
Like that's either a phrase or it's truth. Man, his mercy was taking care of all of our debt. And his spirit was released to give you and I grace. His spirit was released so that you and I could walk out what he created us to look like. He wanted us to look like himself. He created us to look like himself. Go back to Genesis 1.26. He says, let's, let's make man in our image and in our likeness. His desire was for us to look like him. But what we do is, is we get so calculated and concerned about what we look like that we put all of our attention on those things, usually the negative, right? But then when we try and look better than what we do, you know what we try and do? We focus on all of our positives, all the things that we've done really well, and use them as the pedigree to say we look like God. Does that make sense? I'll I'll, I'll tell you all the good things that I've done to make you think that I look like God, to prove to you that I look like God. You catch this. I, I was in a, I went to a school um, out in California, a school of ministry, and we, we would hear testimonies all the time of people like, I remember going to visit the school before I went there. And when I went there, there was a, a group of kids who, kids, they were like early 20s. They like, they went on a fast to see a miracle every day for seven days. And they were telling a testimony of them driving down the road, and they saw in the car next to them someone who was uh, communicating in sign language. And so the guy, like, waves him down, honks, and says, pull over. And so the car pulls over. They get out of the car, and they said, hey, we want to pray for you. We notice that you're deaf. Can we pray for your hearing? And the people were not reluctant. They actually let him pray. And guess what happened? Eyes, ears opened. You know what that can do in a culture? It can create great excitement and hope. Maybe he could do that with me. Or it can create competition and question of if that's not happening, I need to do something to prove that God would work through me. Is God concerned about that? He's probably less concerned than we are. Because he wants to father us. If if I hear a testimony and all of a sudden I start getting excited about, God can do that. Maybe he could use me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to start scattering seed, like freely. But if I have this insecurity, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start trying to prove myself that I'm just as spiritual as that guy. Anybody ever been there? And you do that one upper thing? Well, I have a testimony that's better than that. I prayed for a guy whose head was cut off, and (laughs) it grew back. And then he had two heads. (laughs) What we do is we we get into this competition with insecurity because we're questioning, does God really care about us? Yeah? (laughs) Oh. So Philippians, this is what Paul, like this this is what's beautiful. I love Paul's transparency here. In Philippians, he, he talks to the church in Philippi in chapter 3, verse 2, and it says this. Well, I'll, I'll start in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who are mutilating the flesh. You know why? You know, I, I'm not going to get graphic or anything circumcision was, was proving that God was for a person. They were in, right? We won't go any further. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. So this clearly is said in a way that proves like what the culture of the day was. It would have been like their testimonies. Well, I've got a testimony. I've got a better testimony. Well, I was... 
I, I, was, I was doing this and saw God do this, right? Man, all of a sudden you start feeling like maybe I'm not a good enough Christian. Anybody ever been there? Like hear people's walk with the Lord and all of a sudden you start questioning, maybe God, maybe God isn't pleased with me. Maybe he started keeping track again. Yeah? Maybe he started taking a look at my life again and started to question, should I really have him in the kingdom? Should I really trust her with my spirit? And so this was the, the question and concern. This was the, this was the testimony that was the one-upper for everybody in that culture. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul's saying all of your testimonies mean nothing. Your circumcision means nothing. All the things that prove that God is for you, that you calculate based on human standards, mean nothing. Though I myself have reason and confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Man, you're about to hear somebody who's about to just go off on people who are sharing all kinds of ridiculous testimonies. He's about to start to communicate to them, listen, you want to play this game? You really want to go here? You want to see who has a better testimony? Let's, let's do this. Sorry, I lost my place here. You guys still with me? Is this ministering to you? If not, I'll change directions real quick. If anyone else thinks he has reason... For confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Who else was circumcised on the eighth day? Jesus. And it was cultural for a male son to be circumcised on the eighth day. So he's got that right from the beginning. Okay? Circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, to the law of Pharisees, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul is saying like, listen, I have it all going on. I went to the best school. I did all the right things. I came from the right family. I've never made any mistakes. And we know that that's not true. But he's trying to prove a point here. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss. Whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss. Whatever gain you have, count it as a loss. I want to read this scripture verse in a different way. Because it communicates and it emphasizes the power of this statement in a way that we actually need to hear. How many of you feel like you've got to come to God over and over again to prove that you're worth staying in the kingdom? Okay. It's okay to be transparent about that. I want to free you. Jesus has set you free. He set you free. There's no expectation on you any longer. He's not looking for you to do it right because he's done it right. He's done it. He's done it all. <laughs> Listen to this. More than that, I'm reading the verse 8 again. More than that, I now regard all things as liability compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. How many of you have ever heard about like the difference between liabilities and assets? Yeah? Okay, so what is a liability? It's something that costs you money, right? An asset is something that gains you money. It gains you value. Liability takes value from that, from you. 
If you're going to be a wealthy person, what should you invest all of your resources into? Assets or liabilities? Assets. And try and stay away from liabilities as much as possible. Figure out a way for those things that used to be liabilities to create income to make them assets. What Paul says right here, he says, now more than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. What is he saying here? He's saying that all of your past things that you've done, accomplishments to prove your value and worth to God have all been actually liabilities. They have taken from you. They have drained and depleted you. Every time you start walking and looking like God and start going, see God, look at me. The moment that you start feeling like that is the moment that you're in jeopardy of failure and then all of a sudden questioning whether God cares for you or not. Because when you start looking at how well you're walking, you're basing it on your own walk. Walk in Christ as Christ is walking. Because if you walk out of Christ and you start thinking that you're looking good, it becomes a liability to you. Think about this. How many of you have, I know this is a touchy subject in some areas of finances. Your house, is it an asset or a liability? See, I told you it was a touchy subject. Some people are going, well, I don't know anything on it. Well, do you owe taxes? You have to, you have to still pay an electric bill? So there is a liability. What happens if you have it all paid off and all of a sudden something goes terribly wrong? Like your roof gets destroyed. Is it an asset or a liability? Clearly a liability right? If your walk with Jesus starts looking like, look how good I'm doing. The moment that you fail, it's like your roof getting destroyed. Because now it's cost you everything. Because you placed all your value on how well you were walking. You, you catching this? Hmm. More than that, I now regard all things liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. What is he saying is the asset here? What is the asset that he's saying? Knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Your asset is in knowing him. It brings life to you over and over and over. It's an endless supply to know him. He feeds you over and over and over. It's an endless supply of grace. It's lavishing grace to just know him. You can't go wrong in knowing him. When you fail and you pursue him, it's an asset. When you're trying to walk and look like God outside of Christ, you could look really good. And the moment that you fail, it becomes a liability. And you know that because you start questioning whether God is for you. You start questioning, ah, oh, now this is a liability in my life. Now I have to go to the altar and confess again. But in Jesus, what he does is he exposes the truth. And the truth will set you free. The truth actually comes in and it, it shines light on the area that got dark. And he says, no, 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 the darkness, I've kicked it out. The truth is, is that you're in me. The truth is, is that you can still know me. The truth is, is that you haven't separate, I haven't separated myself from you. And you're turning to look to me. And we're walking this thing out together. Because I am not requiring you to be perfect. I am making you perfect. He is the one that makes us pure and holy and blameless. And above reproach. He is doing it. 
if you are requiring yourself to do it, you become a liability to yourself. And anytime you fail, all of a sudden, you have to pay your own debt. You guys, this is so good. I'm going to read it again because it gets even better. More than that, I now regard all things liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I grant them as dung. I'm going to read what this says here. The word here translated dung was often used in Greek for a vulgar term for fecal matter. As such, it would most likely have had a certain shock value to the reader. This may well be Paul's meaning here, especially since the context is about what the flesh produces. So dung in their culture was a shock value. Place the shock value word for dung in our culture. <laughs> More than that, I now regard all things as liability compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as... that I may gain Christ. The shock value is so critical because Paul is freeing you and I of not having liabilities any longer. But the greatest asset is just to know him. When you know him, you become like him. And you and I were actually becoming like him. Why? Because his grace was given to you and I. It's an endless supply of grace. And we're moving from glory to glory. The only way that we can actually get out of glory is to start worrying about our own walk aside from Christ. How good are we doing? Does this give freedom for sin? Sin's been taken care of. Yeah, well, what happens when I screw up? Are you turning to him? Like he's actually more concerned about you turning to him than how well you're doing. Because as I read the New Testament, he's more focused on him supplying the grace rather than you walking it out apart from him. If you're caught up in anything that doesn't look like Jesus and you're weeping over it and going, I, God, I don't want this any longer. He is actually saying, I don't either. That's why I give you my grace. And when we start being that free, we'll start looking at him and all those other things will fall away. All the other things will fall away the moment we continue to look at him over and over and over again. And what's going to naturally happen is we're not going to be afraid to scatter the seed of the truth that he is that good. Like, do we want to be evangelists? We better know how good it is. We better know how good this kingdom is. If we try and minister a kingdom to try and build something because it's, it's making us look good to God, it's become a liability. If we're ministering a kingdom because we know that we're in him and he's that good and we want to share it, man, it's an asset because we've known him. And we're just talking about the one that we know. Don't be afraid to talk about the one you currently know. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be looking like Pastor Mike, to start ministering the kingdom, communicate about what you do know about him. Is he good? Yeah? Are you worried about how people are going to take what good means? Is that actually keeping you from speaking about how, how good he is? Man, the moment that I keep talking about your goodness, like the revelation of who, how good he is, begins to overwhelm me. Revelation begins to come about like, Wow, I thought you were good, but you're even more good. You're gooder than I thought. Yeah, that's right. I'm never going to tell you that I was way, that you said I was way gooder. I'm never going to tell you that. My goodness has no supply. It's, it's my kindness, actually, that changes your perspective. My kindness leads you to repentance. My kindness changes your mind. 
It's not about you coming to the altar and weeping and wailing because of what you've done. I take, I've taken care of that. I'm actually trying to expose the truth of who you are. I'm trying to have the light shine in and cast out darkness so that you can see I created you to look like me. I created for you and I to be one. You and I, we were created to actually have oneness with God. I gotta share this one thing. Is that okay? Do you know, in the Old Testament, the priests had to be perfect in body, like they couldn't have any deformities. You know that? They couldn't go minister to the Lord if they had any deformities. It's actually why Peter, he cuts off the ear of the guy who was the the high priest or next to the high priest. That dude was actually in training to be a high priest. Imagine what it would have been like. He was going to be able to enter into the Holy of Holies someday. And Peter, he knew that and he cuts off his ear, making a sign to him like, I'm going to keep you from your destiny. So Peter, he cuts off the guy's ear because he knows if he does so, he's deformed. So only a high priest who is made whole could enter into the Holy Holies. What Jesus did is he communicated how much value you and I have. That He says that we are the temple of God. And why healing is because There is no deformity in God. And what he's united us with is himself. He is perfect. He wants to make us perfect. If there's any question of whether God actually wants to heal, whether he wants to speak encouragement, it's been revealed. Jesus actually took care of it because he says, I want you and I to be one. I'm gonna take care of it. I'm gonna do everything so that you and I are one. Any issues in your life, I will come and I will supply and I will make you whole. Why? Because you're a priest. You're a royal priesthood. The priest couldn't enter if they had deformities. So he actually ripped the veil and he came into you and I and made us whole. Jesus healed the man with the ear because he says, you're going to be a carrier of the spirit someday. And so you will be whole too. He's coming to make us whole. He's coming to make us whole because he wants us to know his nature. He wants us to know him, that he is that good. There's no issue in your life that he can't take care of. Why don't you stand with me? There's no issue in your life that God already hasn't supplied the answer for in Jesus. No situation or circumstance in your life that God has not already supplied the answer in Christ Jesus. Why don't you place your hand on your heart? Say, Jesus, thank you for your mercy. Now just begin to think about that. Thank you for your mercy. All of my past you took care of at the cross before I was even born. You took care of sin and death at the cross. You paid the penalty of what sin required by dying for me. You, I was so in debt to the penalty of sin. I was so in debt to the penalty of sin. And God, you came down and you paid the price for me in the form of Jesus. You became my mercy. You put me back at zero. Everything in my past and even my failures of the future, you've already taken care of. You're no longer looking to see how good I do and chalking it up as a positive or negative in my life. I'm no longer in debt any longer. Thank you for your mercy, Jesus. And then Jesus, you were so pleased. Say this with me. Jesus, thank you for giving me your spirit, the abundance of grace. Just begin to meditate on that for a moment. God, you gave me more than I could ever imagine. 
so much more than I can even fathom. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in, in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing has been given to me in Christ. Your spirit, when it came upon me, when it came into me, you supplied me with the abundance of grace to be able to help me walk out the way you always intended me, for me to walk, to know you, to be one with you. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm not trying to look like you apart from you. And I'm not trying to prove how good I look because that becomes a liability. It actually takes away from my life. God, I've been living in deficit when I try and live outside of you, when I try and prove. Even my successes look like failures because the moment I fail, all those things are just torn away. God, I don't want to live with liabilities in my life any longer. God, I want to surrender and let you be the asset of my life just to know you, to let you be the one who says, I am for you and not against you. to let you be the one that says, I will, I will keep everyone that I brought to myself. God, I thank you that I'm not even trying to build a kingdom. You've already built the kingdom. I just get the joy and the laughter of being able to go and scatter seed and minister a kingdom that already exists. You're not judging me based on how, how well I build something. You've judged sin in the flesh and you found me righteous and I would love to tell the world about how good you are because you've done that with every person. You've done that for every person. God, I just want to minister to them and tell them how good you are that they would change their perspective to know you. That's true discipleship that they would just grow to know you. That's committing their lives to Jesus is just to know your goodness, your abundant grace, your spirit that supplies us to walk like you created us to walk. It doesn't calculate all of our mistakes against us, but supplies us to be able to look like you and walk like you, to know you. And God, right now, I, I'm asking Holy Spirit that you begin to minister to people who are hurting, who are in lack or in deficit, in places of bodies where there needs to be healing right now in Jesus' name. We apply the name of Jesus that has the authority of heaven to be able to, to accomplish what we ask of it. I command all sickness in this body to be made whole right now. Your high priests were not deformed at all and you've made us a royal priesthood. So we command healing right now over bodies. And you healed, our, you healed our mind, our will and emotion, where there's issues in the mind, where there's questions about your nature. God, we speak healing over them right now in Jesus' name. Heal our perspective. Heal our emotions, that our emotions begin to look like you. Would you just place your hand on someone next to you? Say, Jesus has set you free. Yeah, just begin to say, Holy Spirit, come upon them right now. Minister your goodness and grace over them right now. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and touch their bodies, their mind, their will, and emotions. Where there's those who their spirit is not made alive in Christ Jesus, we just, we just speak forgiveness over you and reconciliation to the Father. If you don't know the Father, He's beckoning you. He's calling you. He's saying, come, be one with me. And Jesus, He made this statement. He says, I've seen no greater faith in all of Israel when He heard the man who says, I live under authority and I say, you speak the words and it will be done. I want to give you permission to actually walk in that same faith. The authority of Jesus has the power to change any situation. So begin to speak truth over a situation that doesn't look like Jesus right now. 
Don't get offended. Blessed are those who are not offended if it hasn't happened in the past. Don't keep that, keep you from, from going after it again. Yeah, I just, I also speak to hearts who have been hurt because of past failure of them feeling like God hasn't shown up. Let not your heart be troubled. He's overcome the world. Let not your heart be troubled. I speak to those areas of offense in people's lives, whether over people or over God. And I say you can be at peace, grace and peace to you from God. He is applying peace to your heart that you don't have to walk in offense any longer. You don't have to walk in offense any longer. Place the fence down. Don't walk with a fence any longer. God, may we be the most free people just to know you. In Jesus' name.